Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Before I introduce my guest, I'd like to start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to encourage you to send your comments, your suggestions for the show, or any questions that you might have directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at RainCanada.com. And if you're inclined, I'd really appreciate it if you were to share the show with your friends, your family, other people you know, even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And heck, while you're at it, please follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide the team and I. It is definitely appreciated. Okay, there's a proverb that states, early to bed and early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's most often attributed to Benjamin Franklin. But my guest on today's show, Derek Sweet, expanded on that Benjamin Franklin proverb to build a world-class business and coaching program that takes the context of being healthy, wealthy, and wise and makes it meaningful in today's fast-paced world of life, careers, business, and, of course, technology. Derek Sweet is the chairman and founder of the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise Corporation, and he is the creator of the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise Coaching Program, which is an international personal development business. Uh, It's an opportunity for entrepreneurs who are truly passionate about living life to its fullest. He is the founder and executive director of the Certified Coaches Federation, which is an international life coach and executive coach certification company that has now certified more than 13,000 life coaches and business coaches around the world. He is the author of the highly celebrated books, You Don't Have to Die to Go to Heaven, Get the Most of Your Life and Healthy, Wealthy and Wise, The Common Sense Guide to Creating Abundance. He's known amongst Fortune 500 companies, large associations and a leading government agency as a leading thinker and expert trainer, and his inspirational keynotes, self-improvement programs, and professional development programs are in very high demand, but I'm blessed to have him on the show today. So without further delay, my guest. Derek Sweet, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast, my friend. Good to finally get hooked up and lined up. Welcome. Good to be here, sir. You know, Derek, 
you're just an interesting cat. So I met you, I guess, a, a couple of years ago or three or four years ago, I guess, at, through uh, Richard Dolan. You were doing, I think, a presentation in the legacy sphere. You were doing some presentations back then. Yeah, it was a two-day event you guys were putting on. Yeah, two-day event. You yeah. spoke at it. And I went, wow, this guy's cool. And then, of course, the connection was we're both, you know, our horse guys. You're more of a horse guy than I am. And I'm not, it's not that you're more. It's just that you're still really engaged in it. And uh, at least you're feeding them, whereas I don't have horses <laughs> to feed. <laughs> and I know Yeah, you're... I have four of them that I have to go out and give oats to and top up their water every night. So, yeah. Yeah. So tell me, Derek, when somebody says to you, Derek Sweet, nice to meet you. What do you do? <laughs> you know, that's funny because some people would call me a coach. And as you know, I'm affiliated with the Certified Coaches Federation. We certify people to become coaches. And the one thing we always say is never say you're a life coach. Yeah, that used to be cool back in the day. Oh, not so cool it's now. So, it's so uncool now. Yeah. What you want to do is you want to talk about, you want to hit that pleasure point, that benefit point, whatever it is. So, you know, when people ask me what I do, I say, well, I help people get out of their own way. It's really that simple. I've, I've broken it down to the most simple explanation of what the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise coaching program is all about. And again, it's about getting out of your own way. That's it. So, yeah. And, and, and so we can expand on that briefly is that, so when, for you, you are a business owner, an entrepreneur. I think you've been that way for what, most of your life? Yeah. From the beginning, pretty much. Yeah. Head of the womb. And uh, <laughs> you came out of the shoot that way and healthy, uh, healthy, wealthy and wise, um, cool coaching program. And that you've really, really built and grown. Now, how many years have you been at this now? It'll be 20 next year. And what's interesting, Patrick, is I started this kind of as a kind of an exercise, not really knowing where it was going to go. I was working on Bay Street. I was a financial advisor. And it all began by registering the domain, healthy, wealthy, and wise, because we're all familiar with the saying, early to bed early to rise, makes one healthy, wealthy, and wise. And one day I was just kind of goofing around and I thought to myself, I wonder if that domain is available. Now, my afterthought was, no, well, it couldn't be. This is a very famous saying. And yeah. <laughs> lo and behold, Ooh. And it was, boom, wow. I got it. Yeah. And, and then I thought, oh, wow, I just got probably one of the greatest domains out there. And I got the .com. What am I going to do now? I'm going to create a business model around it. I'm going to create a coaching program around it. I wrote a book around it first. My first book was called Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise. But it all began with that one evening when I stumbled on that search and I got the domain. And why, now where did, where did the coaching aspect of it come up? Like, I mean, you know, you're coming off of Bay Street. I mean, that's a pretty heady, intellectual kind of gig. I mean, there's nothing warm and fuzzy about it. And now you're into, you know, now you're into coaching and supporting people and getting yeah. the hell out of their way, which yeah, often is not an intellectual thing. By the way, yeah. you're being polite. You're being very polite. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, long story short, um, when I was a, a young man, um, 16 years old, I was a high school dropout. Um, I think that you know this about me. And, um, 
I dropped out of school in grade nine and I hitchhiked across Canada and I was kind of, um, just hated school. And long story short, my mom gave me a book called the sky's the limit by Wayne Dyer. And right then and there, my life changed forever. It was a pivotal moment. Love that when, book. Love that book, by the way. I'm sorry to interrupt. It was The yeah. Sky's the Limit, Wayne Dyer. I didn't read it till I was probably 30. But anyways, uh, it was a, a life changer. I, I get it. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I started that journey of reading self-improvement books at the age of 16, and I never stopped. I never gave it up for a period of six months, unlike playing guitar, which I've done too many times. Self-improvement, I never have. But for me, it was always kind of like, okay, I'm going to use this information in my career. And I always thought in the back of my mind, wouldn't it be nice one day to retire early and somehow, some way, work in the self-improvement business? And that actually became a reality when I was 38. I was able to um, sell my financial planning business to the bank. And around that time, I had released my first book called Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise. And a few years later, and this is what just blows me away when I think about it, a few years later, I'm on the stage with Dr. Wayne Dyer three times in one year. <laughs> you wow. know? Wow. Like, yeah. Epic journey. So tell me... Derek, there's lots to talk about in the world of, you know, coaching in that space and healthy, wealthy, wise, you know, I, I really want to get to that story, but you know, you opened up a door for me to look at, which is 16 years old, grade nine, and you're like making a decision to quit school and take me a little bit back. What were, where were you born and raised and what, what was your family environment about Derek? I was born in Prince Edward Island, Canada, and my dad was a Mountie, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and he got transferred to Ottawa. And um, it was a difficult move for me because I was at that stage in life when we moved. I was just about to turn into a teenager, and then I had to start over. And um, you could say I got in with the wrong crowd, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I just had a, I stumbled in life very early, and I stumbled hard. I mean, I think quitting school by the time I was 16 is obviously um, a hard move. And, and for a lot of people, it would have led to, uh, you know, a life of misery. And I was very fortunate that I had good parents who, who believed that the stage I was going through was temporary. And I can honestly say, if I didn't have good parenting, we wouldn't be having this conversation because I don't know where I'd be or if I'd still be. So you had just fallen into a tough crowd of school, then you're getting, you know, you're getting taken off to Ottawa, you're losing your peer group, you're losing some identity and significance and having to reestablish yourself at 16 years old. Tough age to do that. Did you have siblings as well, Derek? Yeah, they were older, so they weren't really involved in the picture. They were already out of the house living their own lives. So it was just me and my parents. And so you go to Ottawa, you've quit school. What what are you going through at that point? How are you surviving? What are your parents doing with you? Are they uh, putting you up on the couch or are they saying, get your ass to work? What, what's uh, the status there? Well, they, they eventually convinced me to go back to school and I did. And, um, I, you know, it's, it's through a lot of perseverance from their end because I didn't want to go back to school and eventually I went to, uh, um, university and I didn't want to do that either, but I ended up listening to them after not listening to them for so many years, <laughs> but, uh, it turned out to be a good decision to go back to school. You, so you read the book, the sky's the limit, Wayne Dyer, and it opens up a door of conversation or a thought process for you 
Uh, was that right around that same time? Is that what is was that what I'm understanding in the timelines of your story? Yeah, I was around 16, and uh, shortly after I read that book, um, I decided to make something of myself. I made a conscious decision that I wanted to act on some of the things he was talking about around self-actualization. And that, that was a key word for me at the age of 16, self-actualization, developing our, our lives to its fullest potential. And that's been a kind of a recurring, obviously a recurring challenge. And what is now a recurring theme in, in my professional life is uh, first and foremost in my own life, my own everyday experiences to keep that at the edge of my consciousness, what is it to self-actualize today compared to yesterday? What does it mean next month compared to last year? So it's uh, it's kind of like opening up this this view from this huge window that has no end of of vision. You just keep on opening a little bit more every day, and you see the vision isn't of the surroundings of forest; it's of your potential and what's possible. And I think, wow, if somehow we all learned that our potential was unlimited. You know, wow, what a different world we'd have. So that that's the challenge. In the conversation of self-actualization, how would in that in that term, how would you define it, Derek? Is there a definition that you would give self-actualization? I Patrick, as you know about me, pretty much everything I do is informal. My definitions are informal and they're simple. Yeah. For me, self-actualization is a combination of Letting live what's already there, your higher self is already there, and also building upon a momentum that you start to commit to where you start to realize over time, and I'm talking, you know, every week, you you realize that you're a little bit healthier, you're a little bit calmer, you're a little bit more skilled at certain things, you're a little bit more optimistic about what you can do. It's a huge goal to develop your life. But I mean, there's only so many points, you know, key points in your life that you would apply that to. Obviously, your career, your health, your finances, um, all the the nonprofit things that you want to be involved in or bigger causes that you want to be involved in. And it's liberating. You know, one of the things we say in Healthy, Wealthy and Wise, getting back to your original question, what do you do? We help people get out of their own way. Well, let's go a little bit deeper than that. What does that mean, help people get out of their own way? Help people become, here's another word, free. Help people become free, first and foremost, of a past that includes negative thoughts, recurring emotions that hold you back, uh, an inventory of beliefs that hold you back, or an inventory of programming that includes expectations no matter what you're doing that it's going to have this kind of outcome. What if we could just get rid of all that and begin anew and start to program that that inventory of software, if you will, to be congruent with your intentions? And really, that's, that's the conversation. Now, you, one thing you know about our program, we produce investment research, and a lot of people, they're initially drawn to Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise because of that. But that's not the core of our values. The core of our values is teaching people how to create wealth in all the complete areas of a well-lived life. And that's a challenge, obviously. Well, when I hear what you're describing, you know, we talked about, you no. Know, so you've mentioned self-actualization and, and 
limitless potential. We are, we are limitless in what we can accomplish, but we, as human beings, we see, because I coach, you're, we're both coaches in a, in a different kind of way, but ultimately the phrase getting out of your own way, I mean, you and I each sometimes as we go through our business, we need to get out of our own way. And we're generally coached by somebody who says, get your head out of your ass, get the hell out of your own way and move forward. You know, so it's, it's, those are blind spots that even we would have and, and many do. So, but it's like, people need proof, right? They need, it's like, I, I, am I really limitless? Is my potential really limitless? You know, how do I prove that? How do I quantify, justify that? And then on the other side of it to what you said, Derek was, you know, understanding how much baggage we carry from our past, you know, our belief systems, what I call our BS, that is really about the values we're living of our parents and primarily our parents. But we don't ever question those values. We don't ever stop to say, well, why do I believe this? You know, well, it's because, well, that's how I was raised. And that's what my dad or my mom taught me. And those are big conversations. Now, so you have people coming in looking for financial certainty and and then ultimately they get into the conversation about about their life and who they're being because this is really a conversation in the, in the in the coaching world is about who you're being not what you're doing would that be a fair statement yeah and i i produce the investment research but what i'm even more proud of is something called Spiritual Wealth TV, which is a component that I run on the, I think it's the third Wednesday of every month. Now you, you think, well, what, what is spiritual wealth? <laughs> what, what is spirituality? And, you know, we could talk all day about various beliefs people have about spirituality. But in our program, we talk about the process of self-actualization. We talk about the process of becoming your best self around very simple concepts. Like um, if you if you had a, um, a wish list of words that would describe your best self, you would most likely include words like kind, patient, loving, generous, grateful, optimistic, courageous, etc. That's what we do every month. We have a real heart-to-heart. I mean, I, I give a presentation and it's, in my opinion, I mean, people join our company because of our investment research, but when we're getting feedback from people like, what do you like most about our program? It's that conversation because it goes right to the heart of what we all ache for. What do we all ache for? Well, there's, there's very, and this is really exciting. It, it's all basically, we're all aching for variations of the same thing. Meaning, right? Fulfillment, contribution, purpose fulfillment, joy, experiences, adventure. How do we get that? And more importantly, what do we do to remove what's been in the way from us achieving this kind of life, from having the adventure where, you know, we've we've all heard those kind of perspectives like live life so full that when it's your time and you're on your final breath, you know, you're sliding into home plate and you're saying, wow, what a ride. I remember Wayne Dyer used to say that all the time. And I used to think, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> That's a neat concept. <laughs> yeah. But how? That's how? the question. How? That's the big question. So, yeah. So, okay. Well, I never know where these conversations are going to go, Derek. You know, uh, how? Do you want to just light us up well, on that one? Well, 
you know, we, we could talk about that for hours and weeks and months, how. But one thing I say to people, when I'm in front of people for an extended period of time, like two days, which I often am, and I'm, I'm presenting a course, and I'm talking about the, the, the mental side of life as far as what to do, but sooner or later, I'm going to get to the real conversation, and that is to understand what the source of our suffering is. And it's buying into this illusion that you are your history and your thought patterns and all the programming and what you've been saying about yourself and what society has been saying about you and the world, buying into all that. That's not, it's a lie, basically. How do I get out of my own way? Well, first of all, we understand who we are. And this only takes about a couple of minutes to explain. So that's the good news. Who we are, basically, there's three parts of who we are. And I'm sure you've heard of this, but it needs to be taught. I think it needs to be taught starting in grade one. Definitely we'll get more into it by grade six. But who we are basically includes three parts, three components, me, myself, and I. What's me? Well, me, you could say this is your mind. And in your mind, we could find your thought patterns, your beliefs, your, your predictable feelings for certain events and things and your expectations and all the various values and programming that's been stored over a lifetime. That's me. And a lot of people make the mistake and they think, well, that's who I am and that's what's going to determine where I go. Well, that's not true at all. That's your history, right? And then part two is myself. What's myself? Myself is my body. I have a body. I'm not my body. So people because they think their their body, when they get sick, say they get cancer, they say, I have cancer. And why am I mentioning cancer? I'll tell you why. One out of two men in Canada and the States will develop some kind of cancer today compared to our grandparents, where it was maybe one out of 50 or 60. It's one out of two today. And that's another conversation, by the way. And one out of two and a half women today will develop some kind of cancer. So if you believe the lie that you're your mind and your body, me, myself, you say, I have cancer. No, the correct way to look at it is, I don't have cancer. My body temporarily has cancer. And there's so much in that sentence structure as far as fueling your expectations that lead to a predictable outcome. But because so many people are reacting to life as opposed to creating life, they're not even aware what they're doing to themselves. So we, again, we, we begin with that realization that we're not our mind, me, right? We're not our body, myself. Who are we then? We're I. What's I? Well, it's not the mind or the body. It's I stands for intention. Well, what's your intention? Well, it depends on the topic, right? If you're married, you have a certain intention to be a certain way with your spouse. If you're a parent, you have an intention to be a certain way with your child. If you're giving a presentation or you're in this uh, meeting with you, my intention right now is to just be so engaged in this conversation with you, Patrick, that nothing else exists right now. You know, that's my intention. So the bottom line is we have so much intention and it's going to change from day to day, from topic to topic, to activity to activity. But our intention is never to be fearful or miserable or to be offended or to be jealous or to be afraid. Our intention is always to be glorious in some way, a small way or a large way, but it's never small. So when I say that I focus on, and by the way, I, I bring it back to me because I don't want anyone listening to this to think that I think I know it all. My God, no. I, the more I know, the more I realize how little I know. 
the more I study, the more I realize how ignorant I am compared to how smart I could be if I keep on studying and learning and looking and paying attention. So I think my favorite people to talk to are the people who understand that. We're never going to, and this is fascinating, we're never going to reach our full potential. Think about that for a second. We're never going to reach our full potential because it's unlimited, but we're here on this planet for such a small amount of time compared to the vast potential we have. I mean, that alone, that awareness, that consciousness is reason to stay on point. We don't have any time to waste. And if you think about every thought or emotion or belief, they're kind of like currency. If you think about that for a second, if you have a negative thought, oh, I can't do that. Well, you just produced a currency. What's that going to buy you tomorrow? And if you've been depositing all these coins of, I can't do this, I'll never do that, I feel crappy or whatever, oh my God, you have a bank of misery. Yeah, you know, you've 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 opened up such a you know such a big conversation, and and thanks for sharing those points because they're really great. And understanding the, you know, when you start getting into the metaphysical and you know the, the what people would call esoteric, you and I, I actually I, I know we're aligned in some of those beliefs. Like I am so conscious of my belief systems and my own language. Like I don't hate anything. I don't need. You know, if I hate something, I hate the word hate, so I just don't use it. There's nothing that is so negative and so dark as that word. And our own thoughts and our own way of thinking is, is I believe, 100% without question manifests itself physically. And to your point, you know, when you have cancer, it means you own it. You know, and it's it disowning those kinds of things. It's like, I had a heart attack. It's like, you're not that heart attack. And it goes back, I, you know, it was uh, years ago, I was working, coaching a couple of smokers and uh, I was actually present to them and I learned this and I was present to them when somebody offered them a cigarette and they said, no, I'm trying to, no, I've, I quit smoking. They didn't say I'm trying to quit. They said, I quit smoking. <laughs> and I said, in that moment, when you say that, this is just an example, is you're actually still a smoker. And you're saying, I'm, you know, I've quit smoking. You should be saying, I'm a non-smoker. Full stop. Don't own any part of it. And so it's always interesting to have conversations with individuals that actually don't see that. And either they don't align with it, they don't believe it, or they haven't done the reading to actually look into it, the research on it. So they have no proof of it. And so it always sounds really out there when you have conversations like that with people that say, you know, just if you wouldn't mind just watching your language around that a little bit, you know, and the person that is sick or the person that, you know, says this is just the way I am. I go, gosh, I learned that one a long time ago. No, this isn't just the way we are. That's, that's our choice. Everything that we are making is a choice. And so much of it is the conversation where individuals believe a lot of stuff lives outside of them. It's out here somewhere. It's like, I'll be happy when, you know, that, that whole statement, I'll be happy when, gosh, mm. when may, it never comes, mm. you know, when are you going to be happy now and being present, all those things. So we can go on a whole tangent and I don't mean to take it on a tangent, but it, there's so much in just that <laughs> little conversation that you had, Derek, that's pretty powerful in all of it. Yeah. You mentioned tangent, you know, when you're on a tangent, like you just were, you're on a roll. You're in the you're in the zone. You're in the flow of things. That's beautiful. You know, you're so 
taken away by the very conversation that you just kind of lose yourself in the, in the dialogue because it's meaningful. I mean, I can't get that lost in a conversation about who won the hockey game or football game or baseball game. I just can't do it. Right. Yeah, there are people who 100% can, and they're they're all in, and it's, it's wonderful to watch just how intense they can get about a sport, yeah. you know, or an activity. Uh, I can't. You can't do it. <laughs> I'm not there either, by the way, but you know, that's okay. So, so tell me something around all this, Derek. So, you know, you, you go to university, you're going through and you're living your life, you're doing your thing, you're on Bay street and on this journey, what's unfolding for you? What are you discovering? Because you've got an amazing wife and how long have you been married now? You know what? It's 21 years next month. Wow. That's nice. Yeah. Good thing. Good. Yeah. Nice of you to remember that. <laughs> Good job, yeah. buddy. So, Thank but you. tell me a little bit about your journey and in, in, in all of this self-discovery, you know, you felt that you needed to go on the journey and you hit Bay Street. Is that at that point, are you at Bay Street? Are you thinking I'm making money? I'm going to rock and roll and I'm, or, or are you still pretty compassionate, pretty empathetic, or are you that intellect? shark that's going to go out there and make money where are you in that world at that point Derek? that's a great question and i had i was kind of living dual lives Mm. during the day i was focused on making money yes i was influenced by the spiritual teachings as far as how i promoted my business and how i treated people but the primary focus was on making money and maybe uh, in the evening or before work or on the weekends, I would switch gears and focus on spiritual development and emotional intelligence and all that stuff and learning about nutrition. But one day I realized that I had to pick one or the other, and it was very difficult to have both of them kind of coexist side by side and have one kind of complement the other because working on Bay Street at the time for the firm I was working for, if I were to stay at that firm, I would have had to compromise my values. Now, I did not know that prior to getting into this business, but I found myself at a certain point in the road when I had to make some decisions that I didn't have to make before as far as my ethics were concerned. Long story short, um, a stock because I have been doing research on stocks pretty much my whole life, a stock that the firm I was working for was advising me to put my clients in was a company that had about $600 million in loans to this bank that owned my investment firm. That company was covered by an analyst who said there was assets that were worth X and we would make a healthy return if we just put all our clients in this stock. The company actually didn't have the assets the analyst said they did. And it was later discovered that the bank had $600 million in loans to these guys. And I realized that the the company I was working for, let's just say, how do I say this politely, wasn't completely above board. So I soon quit. And that was the pivotal moment in my life. I said, I can no longer be affiliated with this organization. And it was very difficult because I was managing money for about 400 families. And, um, I had mixed, obviously I had mixed feelings because I loved the people I was working with, but I didn't love the organization that was telling me what to tell them. And if I was going to stay in that capacity, that role, I would have had to toe the line. And I even, I had a meeting with the CEO of the company 
And I told him how I wanted to manage my business. And he suggested that if I do that, I wouldn't have a, a job there anymore. <laughs> wow. And I, yeah, that's what happened. Basically, I was, I, I got out before I was forced out. So that's a conversation really about integrity and understanding where integrity lives for you. Was that the first time that you'd really, that your integrity, do you think, had been challenged to that degree where so much maybe felt like it was on the line because you had a job on the line, you had commitments to clients, you had a lot, I'm sure, uh, going on in terms of all of that. But when you think about integrity, right there, that's where you've got to say, who am I? And, yeah. and what do I really stand for? Did it show up that way for you, Derek? It did. I was 38. I had only been married for about five years and we had a comfortable life. And there I am. Basically, I told my wife, I said, I can't do this anymore. I have to go. I have to quit. She said, what are you going to do? And I had just written my book, my first book. And I said, well, I, I want to be a speaker. I want to, I want to go out and talk about living life to the fullest. And I didn't know what to do. I had no idea how to build a speaking business. But I said, that's what I'm going to do because that's what is going to make me feel like I'm doing something worthwhile and I'm adding something that people will hopefully use and, and, and live a more full life. So what happened was I, I sold my business to the bank and we moved out to the country. At the time, we were living in Toronto and we just we bought a log home in the middle of nowhere, way out in the country, like two hours away from Toronto. And I started to build my speaking business. And I, I got to tell you, probably every third night for the first two years, I'd wake up and I'd, I'd ask myself, what am I doing? <laughs> I, I was stressed out of my mind. Right. You know, but at the same time, I realized it was the right thing to do. So I just kept at it for years before I, and I wrote two more books. And then eventually the speaking business took off. And what happened was, you know, you talk about coincidence and kind of stumbling onto things. But if you pay attention, when you, when you go off the beaten path and you pay attention to what your options are, you can discover that if you're really present to what's important, you can discover all these opportunities. Like when, when I found Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise, I stumbled on that. I just did a search and then I acted on it. You can't just know. You have to act on things. So here I am. How many years later? About five or six years later, the speaking finally took off and the book supported my speaking. And here I am stumbling on a website of a coaching, a certification, coaching certification company. And I'm looking at what they're doing and how much they're charging. And then I look at a few more and then a few more. And by the time I'm finished my research, about a year later, because I really, you know, I took my time at this. I realized that, okay, here's the conclusion. The coaching world right now, this is uh, 2004, 2005, the coaching world is too expensive. They're making the, the process way too complicated, and it's taking too long. So I created the Certified Coaches Federation, and it's a two-day intensive certification program where we, here's that theme again, we teach people how to get out of their own way. And if you're ready to hear how to do it, we don't need more than two days. <laughs> Set the foundation, start things moving yeah. forward. Yeah. So fast forward, we started CCF. We call it CCF, Certified Coaches Federation. We started CCF in, in September of 2016. 
And here we are 12 years later, we've certified almost 14,000 people around the world. Wow. Congratulations. Well done, man. Thank you. That's a cool story. Now, where did you get your entrepreneurial spirit from, do you think, Derek? I mean, your dad was a police officer, RCMP. What was your mom? What did your mom do? Did she work out at a home or was she outside the home? My mom, when I was a kid, she sold, I don't think anyone listening heard of this, Vanda Beauty products. I guess it's close to like, um, yeah, what's, it? what's that other one? <laughs> uh, Dude, we're talking beauty products. Neither of you will qualify yeah, I don't, for I don't that. Anyway, it's a <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm not an expert on beauty products, but anyway, she was selling <laughs> beauty products, and and so she was entrepreneurial. And then she got a real estate license, and she started selling real estate to put me through university. And my dad, who eventually retired from being a Mountie, joined her, and they were a team, a real estate team. And I watched them growing up as a teenager be entrepreneurs and they would go to these conferences and sales events all the time. And they had, they had the tapes back then, you know, tapes sure. of, yeah. of Brian Tracy and Tony Robbins and Les Brown and all the sales trainers. And I kind of grew up being exposed to that to a point where by the time I think I was around 21 or 22, my friend and I brought in Mark Victor Hansen to speak and that was the first um, motivational event that I was in, involved in. And, and I mean, obviously, Mark Victor Hansen, Chicken Soup for the Soul. This, I'm talking like early 90s when he wasn't the household name he is today. I mean, I was so, so intrigued by that business. And my goal was always to come back to it somehow. I think, you know, we all tuck deep down somewhere in our consciousness is this kind of knowing what we're here to do what we can do to use whatever skill set we have or whatever we can do to develop that skill set and make whatever kind of contribution we can make to make a difference in the world. And I really believe that that's the only way we're ever going to find lasting happiness. It's by serving a cause that's bigger than you. And I can't think for me with the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise coaching program, a bigger cause than teaching people how to be happy and joyful and just abandon the old belief system that, you know, caused your marriage to break up and caused you to weigh 50 pounds more and be $100,000 in debt. What if you could give all that up and start life anew? Wow. That's such a great point that you're making around contribution, understanding even the term that I've learned and used many years now is what is your calling? What really is, why are you on this earth? What is your purpose? What are you here and built to do? And in a business model such as Rain, and we have, you know, I've got you know a number of businesses. So, but let's say Rain is the one that is most prominent in the public on, in this podcast, anyways. And when I look at the Real Estate Investment Network, ultimately we're supporting a you know a national community of people to build a financial future, and and that can be difficult because people get in their own way. And, you know, it's often, you know, we're criticized, you know, by those that are going, well, you don't teach me this and you didn't teach me that. And what are you doing? It's like, there's, <laughs> it's, it's often surprising where the blame lives. Right. And I go, you know, 26 years later, you're saying that we're not delivering what you need yet. There's 
tens of thousands of real estate investors that we've worked with over 26 years that have absolutely hit it out of the park and have created an amazing financial future for themselves. And in that moment, it's like, what isn't that person seeing? Well, that's where you get drawn into the other conversation going, you know, can you understand that it's not about what we're giving you? It's about what you are doing and taking that information. So that's a little bit long-winded way of saying we get to be a contribution in a business model that's very, very powerful. But I want to go back to that conversation because you looked at healthy, wealthy, and wise. You looked at coaching and a contribution. You didn't do it. and But the one thing you did do was you took action. You stepped into it. You went, I'm going to lean into this and figure it out. I don't know what it's going to be. Were you in behind the scenes, Derek? Were you having a, a vision, a, a why? What you know, We always go back and often it's about the why. So was there a why there for you or some version of whatever you might have a context around that? Small why. The big why didn't happen until Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise coaching program came along. And I realized that this is my last stop as far as my various business activity. This is the one that, this is the place that's the most like home, that has the biggest purpose. So the goal today is one word, community. I want, I want to create this worldwide community of people who are, you know, getting out of their own way, but also standing for all the values that we talked about as far as being kind, being compassionate, being optimistic, et cetera, but also to look beyond your own challenges and your own circumstances. Because once you get your own house in order, you can start to take a look at your neighborhood. You can start to take a look at your village you can start to take a look at the planet. And you know where I'm going. Uh, I know you know where I'm going. Mm -hmm. It's why I eat a plant-based diet mm -hmm. because you know, you say, well, yeah, being kind, that's a wonderful virtue. Well, what is it? Do I want to be selectively kind or just kind? I eat a plant-based diet because I don't want to hurt anyone, including animals, period. Right. I can go on until the cows come home, <laughs> and they would here. Along <laughs> <laughs> yeah. beside your horses. <laughs> so I, I could go on about, you know, the livestock industry and the, the blooms going up on the Gulf of Mexico and global warming, and I could you know, clearly make a case from a science perspective why the world should really consider seriously adopting a plant-based diet. But my focus was initially just to be kind. It's just a way that I know every single day, whatever I'm eating, nothing was harmed in that production. And I can't, it's, it's impossible, Patrick, it's impossible for me to explain how good that feels. This is an interesting conversation for a number of reals, uh, reasons. I mean, you plant-based diet, being kind, all of those things. But the shift that I want to go back to a little bit, and I, and I do want to talk about plant-based diet. And we're not in a hurry by any stretch unless you are. Nope. The, when I look at the shifts and the changes that you've made over the years, and when I see it, I've, and not only in myself, and, but in others and, and coaching, and, and maybe we could riff off of this, is... In order to make a change, we are even, doesn't matter what age you're at, you've got community, you're, you're in an existing community, you've got relationships. And when you start to veer off the who you're being in those relationships, all of a sudden you're judged. You are assessed, people are making comments to you, you're pissing them off, they're like, you know, you know, why you weren't that way before, how come all of a sudden you're that way? You're self-righteous, you're... Right. So 
a coach of mine many years ago, and it was one of the most powerful questions that I ever was asked was, are you willing to be misunderstood in the context of your life? And until you can stand up and face that and say yes, then you will never move forward in shifting your views of the world, shifting your values of the world, and shifting who you want to be and who you are as you grow and as you expand into that huge potential, that limitless potential. Because as you're expanding into your limitless potential, you are changing, you're evolving, you're adapting, you're adjusting, and people are either going to be with you and they're going to look to you as a leader, or they're going to be left behind. And that's going to piss them off. That's going to make them uncomfortable. It's going to show up a mirror that makes them feel like you're making them wrong, which you're not. All you're doing is living your life. And that's where people get stuck. Okay, so that is a long-winded way, Derek, of saying, (laughs) do you have a view of that? Because I really, as a coach and as just as a person, I see that happening so often. Well, you know, if we go back to the, the process of learning how to get out of our own way, we have to understand what's the obstacle or what, what's the enemy. And the enemy is complacency, mediocrity, tradition. We're, we're battling our own ignorance and we're battling, when we look outside our own house, we're, bat, we're battling global ignorance as far as the consequence of our belief inventory and the consequence of our action or lack of action. And when we understand that, the majority of the world will fall into complacency because that's just how the brain's wired. The brain's wired to, to not risk, to stay in this safe zone. That's how we're all wired. It's not natural to, to be an adventurer, an explorer in the realm of human potential because when you decide that you're going to be an explorer and you're going to explore your own potential, you're going to come up against fear over and over and over again. You're going to be constantly coming up against people who are questioning and doubting and judging you for thinking that you can actually do this. And I'm, I'm kind of used to it now. <laughs> well, I mean, you have to have been, you know, gotten, you know, I guess comfortable with it to some degree because, you know, you made a big shift and, and for people listening in this, I mean, the financial services industry is like a 180 degree, you know, from what you're talking about in the journey that you went on. That's like coming to a screeching halt and turning around and going the opposite direction. And with that comes a lot of uh, judgment, a lot of probably questioning your own values and looking at your own life. And, I, and I, that's just an anchor point for to go back, because I think as we go in business and in life, we're often challenged and, and tested. You know, it, it is a test. It is you know, they test you, you know, the universe kind of tests your resolve. It, it tests your, you know, the, the truth that you're, you know, you're trying to commit to and, and it is going to get tested and you're going to have to get through it. And that's where the fear lives as well. Well, it's ironic that, you know, you're hearing a theme here. Well, I, I didn't plan on doing this. I just kind of listened to my internal voice when I, mm. when I came back to financial services because when I walked away from Bay Street, moved out to the country and embraced this new life of being a writer and a speaker, I had completely written off the whole process of picking stocks and um, looking at what's going on in the stock market. But there it was, that recurring question. The recurring question was, 
is there a better way that hasn't been created, hasn't been delivered, that can make more money than the status quo? Well, what's the status quo on, on Bay Street in investing? Well, it's mutual funds or GICs. And, you know, we know what we're getting with those. So I kept looking at patterns, patterns, patterns. And, you know, look at, look at the weather, look at life. We have patterns. I looked at certain investment patterns over many years to create what I call our proprietary investment algorithm, which, which is simply based on certain events that are happening within a, a, an industry, a company, and the management, and the various ratios within that company, I can predict with about 80% consistency if that company is going to increase in value or not. So I had to share that with a community because I found something that was so so different and so original and so creative compared to the, the status quo. And I think we need, all of us need to do that more often to be more creative and challenge the status quo in whatever topic that's important to us, our marriage, our career, our happiness. And, and for me, again, I kind of stumbled into it. I, 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 get, I get more excited every single day as I I mean, I, I do research all day and I, you know, I coach, but I do more research than coaching. I get more excited every single day as I'm coming back to my babies. What are my babies? They're my seeds. What are my seeds? The 1,300 or 1,400 stocks I'm watching every day. And I'm only going to harvest one or two a month. That's it. I'm going to look at this and say, you're ready. You're ready. <laughs> <laughs> so that was an expansion of the, your business model in your coaching program and, and, or, or expansion or extension, I guess, because, you know, hence the name Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise. You wanted to give people the opportunity that as they learned to drive their coaching business, that it could expand into something else. Is that what I'm hearing in, in that program then, Derek? Well, yeah, because there we were, if we go back to 2006 to 2014, up until 2014, for eight years, we certified coaches. But what's the common theme in coaching? They don't make any money. They struggle, and they end up going back and finding a, a job. They wanted to be this entrepreneur. They wanted to make a difference, but they struggled. And I thought, well, what's out there? What's out there to give people the tools and resources and tangible assets to go out there and build a business? There was nothing. So that's why we created Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise. And, and now people can say, I have something. When you join our program, you get all this inventory of monthly live webinars and courses and certifications and support and coaching and conferences. I mean, there's this plethora of inventory that now people can use to go out there and say, look, I actually have something that can help you improve the quality of your life. And it just wasn't there before. So as you go forward, when you look into the vision of healthy, wealthy, and wise in your business, so you're an entrepreneur, you're, um, building your business and, and taking it to the next level. You're being a contribution to supporting other success. So cool business model. What do you see in the future for it? Like, where do you, where do you look at healthy and wealthy and wise and say, does it, you know, are you looking to go to 28,000 people that you've impacted or do you have those kinds of visions in your model? And when you're thinking, yeah, about I business? do actually, my, my, my goal this year was to grow at about 400%. We grew our membership in, increased by 500%. And next year, I'm going to tone it down a little bit. It's only 
that's it. And we're probably going to grow, you know, the next couple of years, 100 to 200 percent, and eventually just kind of grow at, I don't know, 25, 50 percent. But yeah, I do have a number. It's uh, I can tell you exactly what it is. It's 12,000 by the end of 2023. I mean, that's I, I keep it at the edge of my consciousness all the time. It's always there. 12,000, 2023. So when you have that question always there with you. And all our leaders in our company have that question too. The, the next question is, well, what can we do to make our program better? What can we do to offer more value to the program? What can we do to encourage more people to be a part of our journey? And if you keep asking those questions, well, guess what? You keep getting answers. <laughs> and we've, we had this, it, it's been, I started the, the Healthy, Wealthy, Wise Coaching Program in August of 2014. And it, we, you know what? It just came out with a bang. I signed up 29 people my first week. And then it basically, it, it grew so painfully slowly, 2014 and 15 and 16. And it wasn't until last year that we started to get a trickle of momentum. Now, if you think about all those internal conversations that I had, it was never, well, why me or, or, or what, what is so bad about this program? It was never that. It was, what, what am I learning? What can I do? How do I get momentum? How do I get the right people? How do I improve the structure? And then, boom, this year, 500% growth. And that, what's that? You know what I talk about a lot with coaching? Because people give up on life. Your life and my life, when we're, you know, when we're doing it, when we're persistent, when we're doing the work, and we're tenacious. We're not quite there yet, but when we're doing the work, we're being persistent, we're holding that faith that that's all we have because we're not getting the results. We're like water boiling. And I love that metaphor because with water boiling, there it is. It's on the stove. It's hot, but it's not making that sound, is it? And, and to a layman, they'd say, well, it's not boiling. But there's so much going on beneath the surface of activity when it's combined with reason, purpose contribution, significance, and, and the vision that you hold and you never let go of where it can go and what it can do for people. And you know what? It's finally, finally paid off. And what's great is it's now just starting to take off and the right people are coming in. They're joining our community. And you know this. We're giving, we give away trips all the time. We give away cars. <laughs> And I know it's, it's crazy. Fun. Good for you. Good it's, for you. I'm excited for you. Yeah. That's so exciting. Love watching, yeah. you know, guys that work hard and, you know, it comes to fruition. That's, that's fun stuff. Your coach and you're surrounded all the time by people who are either giving or providing coaching or getting coaching. I mean, gosh, you know, I'm 60 years old. I've been in business 30, almost 35 years or call it 35 years. I don't, I don't know that I've ever had a time where I didn't personally have a coach either a personal coach, not so much anymore as a personal coach, but I think they all go hand in hand anyway. So it's, you know, one of the same, uh, certainly some business guidance along the way. Do you, uh, do you have a coach? I have two coaches and uh, one is our CEO. Theoretically I'm his coach, but he's my coach. And, uh, another one is a, a person who's in our program. So between the two of them, they, uh, they keep me on the right side of the page. And of course, my wife have to include her as my coach. <laughs> I, that, well, you know something. I, I wanted to go there next, as a matter of fact. And and the question 
really I had in all of this. And certainly uh, I'm, I would love to hear more about Marsha and her role and what she does with, <laughs> with you guys. But uh, how important is if you're in a relationship, you know, significant other marriage or whatever that might be in all of the success that you've witnessed, including your own, how important is it to have that alignment as a couple? Well, for us, I mean, she owns a company with me. It's her company. She's the COO, so she runs the company every day. So what's great is when she comes home, I will say, because I don't, I don't work at her office. I work from home because I'm just doing research, and I, it's really important for me to have a quiet environment, so I'm just around my dogs all day. I mean, I'm on the phone. I have a few coaching calls but and webinars, but mostly I'm just here by myself. So, you know, we'll talk. How was your day? Great. And there's we have a staff at the office, and there's always stories and things that have happened and, and of course, challenges. But, I mean, when she comes home, we're, we're always talking about our business because for us, our businesses, it's, it's our art. You know, it's our purpose. It's, it's something that brings us together. And it's for, for both of us, both of us, it's, it's definitely a joy. And, um, so we're, we're kind of in a way you could say that we're always on because when, when you have a community like we have, there's always something going on seven days a week. It's, it, it, on one hand, you, you could say you almost never turn it off, but that brings up another conversation. Well, shouldn't you turn it off? You know, and, and we do, that's why. We have our anniversary coming up next month. We go away uh, every anniversary. We go away. We're going to California for a week, and we're just going to turn things off. And that's what we do. Once, one week a year, we just go away and we turn everything off. I, uh, I'll still make some videos. <laughs> of course you will. <laughs> I will still be promoting our program from California. I can't help it. I can't shut up about it because it's it's my joy, it's my purpose, but I'll make less of them, I'll put it that way. You know, there's a place where uh, I've had this conversation uh, several times, I think, on this podcast, but overall, that's a fundamental shift when you've got a business that you love and you're, you're living a, an amazing life. You know, I look at Stephanie and I and what we're doing in our businesses, and uh, what, what prompted the conversation many years ago was... Uh, gentleman came up to me after a talk or whatever it was. And he said to me, he says, Patrick, he says, like, how many hours a week do you work? And it, it really, it actually threw me off guard. It was, and I, I thought about it for a second and I go, I don't know, because it's not like I have this work over here and my life over here. It's just, I have my life. And sometimes all I'm doing is working, but it's, it's not like it's a grind. It's not, and, and it isn't, certainly it's not physical labor. It's not like I'm an electrician and, you know, and, and there's a physicalness to it, you know, like a trade where guess what? At the end of eight hours, you're physically done. I, I would understand that. And I do understand that, but in my life and in our life, it's just, it's just life. And so we're working and we're working. And sometimes we have to just take a mental health break or check in emotionally, intellectually, because we're exhausted from, thinking and conversations and all the rest of it, but there's never this place where I'm counting the hours I work. I, I don't even understand. I can't even get that concept. And, um, I, I shouldn't say I don't understand. I totally understand it, but I don't live that concept. You know, Stephanie and I are always focused on 
what kind of, how's our life? That's our check-in. You know, are we living the life we want to live? And it's, and I'm often reflecting going, okay, if it wasn't this, so if I'm having a shitty day and I'm going, what the hell am I doing? I really do slow down and I go, okay, Mm. is it just a shitty day or, you know, let's just check in here. If I wasn't doing this, what would I be doing that would be better? Is there someplace I'm pining for something, you know, where I think that that would be, you know, make my life better. And I never have those internal dialogues. So I'm never, ever looking outside pining for anything that would be better than what I've got, you know? And so anyways, that, I, I don't know that where I was going with that, other than to say that when you're really living uh, and have focused on creating a great life, to your point, you take a week in California, you and Marsha are together, you are aligned as a couple. You're not pulling each other one way or the other, because that would be exhausting you know, mentally, emotionally, if you're as a couple aren't aligned. And so when you're in your coaching program, are you actually supporting your coaches and or your clients in those kinds of conversations as well, Derek? Yeah, well, I conduct something called uh, Coaching Well TV on the, um, the first Wednesday of the month. And my role is to coach all the coaches on, you know, it's a first of the month. And we're all building our business. So my primary conversation on like spiritual wealth, which is a third Wednesday of the month, this is on how to build a thriving, lucrative and fun and meaningful coaching practice. And most of the conversation, surprise, surprise, is about getting out of our own way. (laughs) Because everyone knows what to do, but most people don't do what they know to do. And so we have a lot of conversations around how to make that do a lot easier and how to make the excuse a lot harder to justify. You know what? That's art. And I think, I think every entrepreneur really should consider doing something every single day that gives them this creative outlet. Like I play guitar. I play blues guitar and I just pick up my guitar like midday. I'll just like even 1230, I'll just shut things off and I'll put on a backing track and I'll just play my guitar to that music. And I will just t- take a time out from life. And I'll just, I don't know, I'll just come back and I'll, I'll just feel renewed. And, you know, when you're doing something that's creative and it is not about selling or hustling or producing, it's just you being in that zone creating. Well, guess what happens? You take that kind of concept, that energy, and you go back to work. And what do you do? You create. You create with the kind of joy and playfulness of an eight-year-old. You know, it's just play. And we don't play enough. Everybody's so, they're all working, they're all stressed out, they have all these production goals. But the work, when the work becomes play, when you can approach the work with the perspective of a child and wonder as opposed to worry and anticipate as opposed to be anxious about whatever it is that you're about to do, like I couldn't wait to, to speak with you today, and I've only spent a you know we've we've met a few times, but in those few meetings I've had with you, I thought this guy, um, he's amazing. He's got this wonderful energy. He's living his life to the fullest. I want to know this person. Uh, and um, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. And that's the thing, you know, when you're living your true calling, you really start to see other people, even in a crowd. You're like, wow, that person. I can just sense from their energy that they're living their life to the absolute fullest. And, you know, I was, I think I was on a panel with you and I didn't know you at all. I just finished speaking and 
it was your turn to speak and you started to speak. And if I wasn't paying attention to your words, if I was just listening to your voice and your intention behind your words with your voice, I, I made the conclusion right away that this man is a lifelong learner. He's a seeker. He is at a level of consciousness where he can make such a big difference in the world. I must stay in touch with him. Well, Derek, thanks for being a fan. Like you would be my, <laughs> the only person I know in my fan club. So thanks for that. You're number one. <laughs> so I appreciate the compliments. Thank you. I take that very much as a compliment. So can we go back? I, I wanna, there's a couple things I want to have a conversation with around. And, and because both of you and I have a background in, in horses and our interest in horses. And, and I, you know, as much as I... I ride in my, my equitation skills are, are marginal, you know, at best really. I mean, I'm great on trails and I'm solid. I, you know, I'm, I, you know, I learned to ride bareback because I was too damn lazy to put a saddle on a horse. That really, <laughs> that's the truth. And, uh, I go, why would I put a saddle on when I can ride bareback and have that kind of contact? So I'm very much about natural horsemanship and, and really it is the study of communication. You know, as much as it is about training a horse, it's about communication. And when I'm working and I'm doing ground training, which I love to do with horses and, and troubleshoot and, and I could be with a horse for three hours. And in that three hours, number one, it goes by very quickly. But as you know, when you're with a horse and you're training, you can't be anywhere else. You can't be, you can't have, you know, problems. You can't have phone calls. You're, you gotta be present to what's really going on when you're doing that level of work. How did you get interested? And I know you have some of that background, but how did you get interested in horses? Where did that show up for you? Was it a, a, a kid thing or, or how did that show up for you? Because I think horses are so powerful in teaching people communication. Well, my grandfather was a farmer and he had a workhorse and her name was Queen. And my childhood memories of, are, are of, of him putting me on that horse and walking around the farm and I, I fell in love with that horse. I mean, we used to live a few hours away, and every summer we'd go to my grandfather and grandmother's farm, and the first thing I'd, I'd go see is, is Queen, the horse. And from a very young age, I had that love of horses, and it was always my goal. One day, I'm, I'm going to find myself in a position where I can, I can have them in my backyard and just be around them. And that's exactly what happened when I sold my practice, uh, my financial planning practice. Um, we moved out to the country, and within months, we had horses. And I didn't know what I was doing. Like most of the things I'm talking about, <laughs> just figured it out I didn't as know you how go. to write a book. I didn't know how to call. I didn't know anything. Uh, and that's another thing we could talk about, about not worrying about failing, just because it's not failing, it's learning. But that's another conversation. So, you know, I, I got these horses, and I, I, I didn't know how to ride. I rode when I was a kid, but, you know, it was like 30 years, 35 years since I rode a horse, really. I mean, except for the odd trail riding adventure we all do. But I didn't really know the technical parts of riding, you know, the, the foot, where I should put my foot or how to hold the rein. So... Um, we, we bought these horses and we took lessons and it's kind of funny, the young woman who was teaching my wife and I how to ride, she was giving us for whatever reason, she, she had some kind of, um, hiccup in her brain and she was teaching us the opposite of the right move we were supposed to be taking. So we learned the wrong way how to ride for the first year. <laughs> That's it so was funny. awful. Yeah. <laughs> 
but we kept that. <laughs> and then we got a new trainer, obviously, and we, we learned how to do it. But, you know, I, I still consider myself a hacker as far as riding horses. I have a hundred acres and I do have an arena. So if it's raining or icy, I can just go in the arena, but I'm learning as I go along. I have probably about 50 or 75, um, DVDs of every kind of topic around riding a horse from leg yielding to cantering. And that's the thing, you know, if you go back to the, the constant in our conversation tonight, it's about learning. It's about self-actualization. It's about becoming. And if you approach everything, whether it's riding a horse or making more money with that kind of sense of playfulness and wonder and sense of, wow, this realization that there's no limits here as far as how much I can learn or, or, and this is a stretch for a lot of people, how much money I can make. Most people, when they think about money, they can make their capped, they're capped at maybe $100,000. And then they have all these beliefs that kind of cloud things and they beliefs like, well, if I make over 300, I'm going to be um, not a nice person or I'm going to change or I'm going to get divorced. I mean, that's, that's one constant that all, always comes up in our coaching program is helping people understand that, you know, your financial stability and your financial abundance can make so, such a change in the world. You can help all these causes uh, that, that are really desperate for, for money because it, they're led by people who are not driven by money. They're only driven, they're only driven at the cost of their financial future. They're only driven by purpose. These people, uh, whether it's Greenpeace or uh, Sea Shepherds, these guys going into the ends of the earth uh, to fight off these uh, whaling ships from Japan, they need our money. They need our support. So I made up my mind that I'm going to be one of these people who supports them, who goes to the dinner fundraising events and says, here, here, let me help. You know, so I, I have a very different relationship with money than a lot of people do. There's no fear at all. There's freedom. I can help other people pursue their dreams. I can help other people make huge changes in the world. One of my favorite stories is about a guy that you probably and your listeners probably have never heard of. But you know what? They should have heard of this man. This man should have already been in receipt of a Nobel Prize because he's the only lawyer that I'm aware of who sued the FDA, the FDA in the United States, for approving GMOs. I mean, the guy's in his 70s. He's a lawyer. He could have been doing other things, but he said, no, this is important. Why is it important? Because GMOs cause cancer. They cause our soil to be depleted. They cause pollution in our water tables and our rivers and our lakes, and they destroy the planet when you look at all the various steps of the production of GMO products. And I want to have enough resources to help people like him and have an army of lawyers on retainer to go out there and, and right all the wrongs that are happening from uh, corporate greed to just outdated traditions to what have you. You know, that's, and again, that's what Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise is about when we say, we're going to teach you how to get out of your own way, and we're going to also teach you how to really develop freedom. And that obviously includes financial freedom. When you talked earlier, you know, you talked about being kind and when you really started owning being kind, it actually looked at and you, you asked a great question, which is where does it stop? You know, does it just stop within my own circle where it's convenient or where, where, you know, is this really a true identity, which then sounds like it led you into understanding 
the impact globally on the things that we do and where you can be a contribution. You then went down the path of plant-based diet, but that was driven by how you felt we were treating the globe, treating the earth that we live on. And so tell me a little bit, where did, where was that a, you know, where did that fork in the road start to happen for you? Was it, was it because you met somebody? Was it a health issue? What inspired you other than the base being, I want to be kind? Well, it began with the decision to be a vegetarian. And then one month of December, we were, my wife and I, we were watching some documentaries on, um, I think on YouTube or Netflix, and we stumbled across this one documentary called Earthlings, Earth and then Lings, Earthlings. The website's earthlings.com. So we watched the entire documentary, and it was about how we treat animals and how we treat ourselves and how we treat our planet. And I'll never forget that moment. Again, it was another pivotal moment in my life. Um, my wife and I were both there at the end of it. We were both, we were crying. We were crying because we were aware of the consequences to how we treat each other and how we treat animals and how we just assume it's accepted without really thinking about the other and thinking about their torture and their, and their suffering and the misery we put them through. And it all kind of the weight of that around the world kind of, I felt it. And I made that decision right then and there. Boom. I'm, I'm never eating anything that was harmed, anything that had a mother, never again. And wow, it was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. And then what happened was, because I'm a researcher, I started to do research on the environmental uh, consequences of uh, the livestock industry. And I went down that rabbit hole and I kept getting more and more information. And I, it was alarming to, to realize what I realized. And it was alarming to realize that the governments of the world we're not doing anything to prevent the destruction that's happening to our rainforest, our, our land, our soil, our water, our air, because of a tradition. That's all it is. It's a tradition. And I made some mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes in educating people. And you, you, can't, you can't go down this road where people are, are listening to you and they're somehow feeling guilty. Or somehow feeling, even though that's not your intention, they're feeling they're feeling offended. So I, I I made a lot of mistakes in the early days in in promoting this way of being, and and even today I've toned it back quite. I may I may not sound like I'm toned back, but I am. I am. You should have heard me before. You know, I I now just kind of emphasize. Oh, it's kind and it's healthy, and we're all we're all growing at our own pace and it's a process because often people will say to me when they find out I eat a plant-based diet they'll say oh I just eat fish or oh I, I eat meat on on uh, on the weekends or I, I I participate in meatless Mondays you know because I know the urgency of global warming and the the consequences of methane gas and its production from cows and blah, blah, blah. I, I know the urgency, but I can't bring that into a conversation with someone who just told me that they participate in meatless Mondays. That's a Band-Aid on a, a death wound, you know, the juggler vein. That's like putting a Band-Aid. It's not going to solve the problem, but me, you know, being like holier than thou, you know, uh, is, is not going to help them. So what do you do? Well, you, you focus on the, the three different points, the kindness uh, conversation, the health conversation, 
and the environmental conversation. And hopefully, with people with open minds, they'll start to get it and they'll start to make decisions and they'll start to be engaged in a process and we'll have a better world. But at the same time, we're, if you take a look at our planet, we're, we're really, I don't mean to sound depressing, but we're really at the, the first inning of the ninth, the first part of the ninth inning as far as our planet's concerned, as far as the momentum. I mean, I could go on and on about what's going on in various parts of the world with methane gas being released and how it's compounding the global warming that's happening and how the sea level is just beginning to rise and how the superstorms are just beginning to get going. I mean, this is all science. This isn't just me saying, oh, but you know what? The number one contribution we can make to save our planet is to eat a plant-based diet. And you know what, Patrick? I haven't figured out how to have this conversation go viral. I have no idea. I have no idea how to do it, but I'm not, I'm not stopping thinking about it. And it's always there. It's always like, well, how, how can we do this? And thank God, more and more people, if you take a look at um, food themes and trends in health and, and eating patterns, what are we seeing? We're seeing the explosion of plant-based foods and plant-based restaurants. And I think, hallelujah, wow, it's happening. It's happening. We come back to the water boiling. Ah, the water's boiling. <laughs> no one knows it. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You know, there's, it's interesting because I know that I've had these discussions with many people that, you know, vegetarians and, and those individuals who are now full-on plant-based. And I've done my own research, but I do find that there's an equal amount of research that supports both meat eating and plant-based. Now, I totally, 100%, the evidence is overwhelming, the impact on beef cattle industry, on methane gas. Here we are in Canada talking about carbon tax and you know the oil and gas, which is like, oh my gosh, you know, really? And when you consider globally what beef does, and, and, and in Canada, I mean, we're not even in the running for what makes a difference as you, you know, if you travel the world and you look at what beef is doing globally in other countries that we don't even think about. It's not even in our, in our purview of thought, you know, aside from the U.S., which is big, but go even outside of North America and cattle and methane gas and the impact that it's having on our globe, there is absolutely no denying that science. So it's always interesting conversations, but I also see that it's a very confusing time. That's my interpretation of what I'm seeing. There's the politics, the the true governmental politics, there's the corporate politics, there's the you know lobbyists that are being paid to be lobbyists to to drive it a different direction. So it's a very very complex issue. And as much as you do your research or I do my research and we're driven that way, the general public is, you know, I would say that we're, you know, perhaps we're on some end of extreme and we're not extreme. I mean, we really aren't, but we're, we're certainly not what would be the general public. I don't believe that. But having said that, there's so many confusing messages out there. You know, how do you, how do you quantify or qualify or how do you actually take and, and get the message clear so that people hear it and actually trust it and believe it. You know, they're not sitting around going, you know, well, Al Gore, you know, everybody's calling bullshit on, you know, called bullshit on Al Gore and his research. And yet 
he had it all there. And I mean, it was a big deal. So how do we, how does the general public, given what you've learned, how do they sift the bullshit from the truth? Unfortunately, now, the evidence has become overwhelming as far as the climate change. So it's, it's already here. All, all I have to say to people is open your eyes and open your mind, and you'll, you'll understand that this is real. I mean, obviously, there's still people who believe that it's not a problem, and it's, you know, created by the Chinese. That's what Trump says. <laughs> and, yeah, that is funny. Uh, but... The, the evidence is overwhelming what's happening to our planet as a result of, you know, I, I come back to outdated traditions, and that's what they are. And here's the thing about traditions. They're emotional, right? If you think about your, your fondest moments, your birthday parties, your celebrations, your weddings, the events you've gone to to celebrate life, what's the common theme? It's food, you know? And a lot of those foods are related to meat, dairy, and eggs. So all of a sudden you're telling me that my Thanksgiving, I'm not going to have a turkey. Well, what am I going to have? What am I going to eat? Grass? <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's a colossal challenge to, to come head to head against traditions because of that emotional attachment. You know, that's, that's not a turkey. That's love for my grandmother who made that turkey for 35 years for me. You know, and my fondest memories of my life are with my grandmother. So all of a sudden, that turkey is my grandmother. You know, and 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 a lot of people don't want to understand that that turkey had a personality and a life and and had rights that were were not respected, and was ter- terrified in the seconds before it was murdered. And people don't even want to hear the word murdered. They want to hear the word harvested. <laughs> no, that's no, true. That's true. Hay. Yeah, that's true. No, they do. Okay, so I'm going to take it off, totally off this topic, because this is a good one, by the way, but we could do a a whole debatable show around that. And, you know, the premise of the show has always been really built around the fundamental understanding that, you know, seemingly ordinary people do achieve extraordinary results. And that when I looked at the context for the podcast at the time, it was early on understanding that less than 1% of North America's population could really claim to have the assets of, we'll call it a, um, a, being a millionaire. Like it's just so perhaps in our world, in our circle of influence and others out there, it seems quite common. And, and of course with housing prices in Toronto, it seems like everybody's a millionaire. Like that's how it is or Vancouver. (laughs) Right. And the reality of it is that that's just not true. And the understanding of what is the journey to creating financial wealth and, and truly, having a wealthy life to be, it's not just about the money and we go through the journeys and it isn't easy. And, and, you know, we often say that, you know, we use that cliche, you know, it's simple. It's just not easy. But as, even as I'm listening to your story and and as I've listened to so many of my guest stories, it is a, a road of challenges and confrontations with yourself. We're constantly confronting ourselves to get through that. And we're failing along the way and you're calling it lessons learned or you're calling it learning. Once again, that's a different conversation. But on that same note, what's the biggest failure that you've had that you can think of that turned out to be a blessing in disguise? Is there one of those there for you, Derek? Um, I've had so many. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not compare notes, so you you, you might lose. 
I think it wasn't an event. It was a, it was more of a lifestyle of a, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it failing. I would say it not, it's, it wasn't being authentic to my, my real purpose and my real passions for a lot of my career. My work day was spent making money as opposed to making a difference. And now I would never even consider doing that. So I guess my, my mistake, my biggest mistake was to look at life and the time that we were given, this very fleeting time we're given, to look at life and time as a means to an end, at least for a certain part of the day. So we go to work and we don't want to be there because there's other places we'd like to be. And we don't want to be there because there's other things we could do that would add more of an impact to the quality of other people's lives and to make a bigger difference and to make us happier. But we're there because we're getting paid for it and we're, we're trading time for money. Time is a means to an end. And when you look at life as a means to an end, whatever you're doing is a means to an end as, a par- as opposed to being a part of your journey and your purpose and your contribution and your mission, if you're, if you're just putting that on ice to go and participate in a means to an end, you're wasting your life. So it took me, my God, it took me so many years to realize that. And when, when I realized that, when I realized that no matter what, no matter how much money I'm making or not making, I'm going to spend my time making a difference, living my true self, being authentic, being sincere, being kind, questioning all the things that used to hold me back and no longer tolerating them. You know, my biggest mistake was to tolerate all the things and all the beliefs and all the expectations that kept me small. Like I'm a public speaker. And for years as a public speaker, I used to have this small voice that had these expectations that I wasn't a good public speaker, you know, and I tolerated it and I kind of believed it. And I, oh, I, or I could, I could speak, I, I could speak in front of a hundred, but not a hundred thousand. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, I get it. I get it. The same thing around money. Sure. The conversation I'm sure you have often had, and I know I have, is when you're working with people that are, you know, reaching out and asking for some support, and you start talking about purpose or you start talking about calling, they don't have an answer to that question. And, you know, they go, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my calling is. I just know I'm unhappy. Or I just know that I... I should be more successful than I am, or I just know that my relationship should be better. And, you know, all of the things that come up in those conversations. And do you have a, do you have a secret sauce for defining purpose or, or, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What is it? Yes. Share. Can you share it with us or, or is it a, is it a one day workshop? I know. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, in my opinion, it's common sense, but let's, let's give it a shot. Okay. So, and by the way, Patrick, I have this conversation all the time with people. Of course. All the time. Yeah. So number one, you, you guys may, uh, listening, you may want to take a pen out, write it down or type away. Number one, and you've heard some of this stuff before, but it's not, it's not so much what you know, it's what you're learning that's kind of a complement to what you know. So number one is, as far as figuring out what your purpose is, number one is, what is your skill set? In other words, what problems can you solve? What solutions are you really good at that you could help other people? That's number one. What is your expertise? Okay, there's about four. Okay, that's number one. Number two. 
what events have you gone through in your life where at the time you're like, oh my God, this is the end of life, divorce, cancer, bankruptcy, depression, your house burnt down, whatever. And at the time, it was this is the worst thing that could have happened to me. But upon reflection, some time later, weeks and months and years later, you realize that shortly after that event happened, you prioritize different things. You focused on different values and you really paid attention to them and you nurtured them and you no longer tolerated other habits and, and rituals because they were a waste of time. And you only figured that out because you realized something from that event. Like you, someone you love died and you realize, wow, I, I'm going to lose people again. I'm going to die. So what, what's the takeaway? Well, I'm, I'm not going to smoke anymore. I'm not going to eat uh, processed foods anymore. Okay. Um, so that's number two. What events have you gone through in your life that has given you these profound shifts in your priorities and your values? Uh, number three, what are you most passionate about that you just love to talk about? Like I'm doing it with you right now. Like we're just talking, talking, we're just talking, right? We're, just talking. we're talking about life. That's it. Yeah. But what are you most passionate about and what do you like to read about and study about and attend lectures on and give lectures on? And obviously, for most of us, that's going to be a, a lot of different things. Like I love music. I love blues. I love horses. I love learning. I love language. And so do you. And we can think about, about a million other things. But you know, if, if a lot of them are aligned with your, your series of skills the events you've gone through where you walk away with certain understandings and perspectives, you know, you have this, this, these three questions that allow you to focus on something bigger than yourself as far as your purpose. But we come back to, to there's more to it than that. What can I do that utilizes my skills and my passion and the learning from these events that will make the biggest contribution? to this group, this target market, and will also allow me to feel like my life is being lived to its most fullest potential. There you go. I mean, that's a good start, right? Thank you for that. That's great. Derek, as we wind down the show, we've been at it for a little while, and this is, you and I could both go on for far longer than we care to think about. <laughs> I like to wind up the show with some rapid fire questions, quick and easy, straight out. You come right off the hip, buddy. <laughs> Aside from the sky's the limit, what a book have you been reading or what is the most powerful book you've had or the one that you gift often? I'm just looking up there in my uh, library. Um, I always come back to the same book. It was Marcus Aurelius Meditations. There's very few books I've read a hundred times, and I've read that over a hundred times because the one constant in that book is metaphoric examples of how fast life is going by, how brief it is, and how little time you have on this planet, and how you have none to waste. And that book changed my life. I mean, you know, everywhere I go where I'm in front of people and I'm giving a presentation, and you've heard me do this before live, I think, I will say to that group, and these are typically people who don't know me, I'm talking about something, and then I'll just say, oh, by the way, you're all going to be dead soon. And I get the same reaction every time, a nervous laugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, shut up, don't say that. 
So right? true. Because yeah. I, 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 I was focusing on my neurosis. I was tending to and growing my neurosis and my limiting beliefs. Don't say that because I thought I had time to just put up with this nonsense. Yeah. No. You know. So. Um, Good book. Yeah, I mean, if, if there's any takeaway from from anything that we've said today, it's we don't have time to waste on worry, anxiety, doubt. Spend your remaining days on things that are going to make you the happiest and make the biggest contribution to the planet and develop what's there in you already. I mean, in light of the fact that it's unlimited, what a ride, you know, what an adventure that can be. So true. I, so I, for the past year, 2018, I've been studying stoicism and, uh, Stoicism, and I've uh, been journaling every day, and really following some of the you know greatest guys, and of course Marcus Aurelius was always there. He's forefront in the study that I do, so it's cool. What's your favorite swear word, my friend? Do you have one? <laughs> Am I allowed to say it? Sure, of course. <laughs> you should hear some of the come stuff that's come out here. My, my favorite swear word. Yes. What's your What's your go to when you're pissed off? Well, it really depends on the situation, but I mean, there's a lot of research on the therapeutic uh, effect of fuck, the word fuck, yes. when, when you're doing something like you're, you're hammering a nail and, and you hit your there thumb. you are, the hammer just hit your finger. You're not going to say, oh, <laughs> that's not going to give you any pain relief at all if you just say, oh, but magically, fuck. It, wow. That's like a... It, it, a Tylenol. It takes the pain, right? You know, there's. Yeah. Uh, you'd mentioned a long time ago Tony Robbins in some of your study, and a long time ago I read uh, Tony Robbins, or I, yeah, a book I read, and he talked about the impact of language, and different. What was interesting the concept he gives. He says you're in a meeting, and somebody says something that offends you, and he said you can be pissed off, and he goes this. So just think about that. I'm pissed off, right? So take that same scenario and go and say, man, that's annoying, yeah, right? It yeah. just shifts the whole energy, right? Yeah. So back to the favorite swear word, I mean, fuck has an impact, right? Like it's like it takes the charge off things because it's an expression and it gets the energy out there. So that's my own view of the world and we can debate that a long time. <laughs> Do you have a favorite inspirational I quote? I don't say it that often, by the way, just so you know. Yeah, I yeah. Don't, like I'm not saying that word like 10 times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not a big F-bomber at all. Uh, no, no, I, some, I'm, I'm really days. against F-bombing. Yeah, okay. Okay, you can take that stand. Okay, so what's your favorite inspirational quote? you have one? Well, I have a lot of them, but, you know, one that comes to mind is the reason why I have the, uh, the I have healthy, wealthy, and wise tattooed on my left shoulder. And, Obviously, that was inspired by Benjamin Franklin, who said, most people die at 25 and don't get buried until they're 75. Mm. That quote is never far away from my awareness. Love that one. You know something? I don't think I've heard that one before. And I'm not kidding. And I've heard many, like you. There you go. Wow. Thanks for that. Well, If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you're uh, arriving at the gates? We have horses and Harleys. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> On a scale of one to ten, how weird are you? <laughs>
Ten. Yeah, I agree. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no hesitation there <laughs> no, at no, all. No. Let me think about that. No, I don't need to. Room, room, <laughs> room, desk, or your car. What do you clean first? Well, if you were to see my truck, it's it's awful. It's really, you know, it's a truck. It's a farm um, truck. What yeah, about, it's a farm. It's yeah. What about your car? But what about your car? Well, I have um, it's a nice car, so I I keep it clean. Yeah, yeah, I clean my car. Okay. Do you have a favorite tune? Yeah, when I exercise in the morning, I have about eight songs I play over and over again, and uh, you know, just to get motivated to uh, work out, but. Um, I have a lot of different favorite songs that are, you know, typically talking about in the lyrics, you don't have time to waste, you know, go for it. Um, you know, you, you can, you can do anything you want. So sometimes it just, or it's just ACDC, yeah, you know, anything sure. that is coming from ACDC, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to. You have a favorite movie? Well, as far as movies that has, have had the most impact on me, I, I would say it was Earthlings, but I can't say it's my favorite movie because yeah. it's so damn depressing. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Okay, that's fine. What are you grateful for? Well, I'm grateful for this moment that we're having right now, you know, just two guys talking about life and trying to figure it out and, and hopefully share that conversation with people. I'm grateful that there's people like you in the world who want to talk about these kind of ideas to me it it um it just makes me feel more optimistic to know that there's people who really think that this is a priority and quite possibly by enough of us engaged in a conversation a real conversation about real things that can make a real difference we can just you know in our own way change the world a little bit and that's all it takes if we all just change the world a little bit well then the world changes a lot so I'm grateful for, for today's realization of that. And, you know, I'm grateful for, to take it back full circle, I'm grateful for um, having a wife that's put up with me for 21 years because let me tell you something, I'm, I'm not the easiest guy to live with because mm -hmm. I have all these crazy ideas. And my wife never, ever says you can't do that. My wife has always said, yeah, well, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I think you can do it. And to have a wife like that who has always been behind me and has always supported my crazy ideas. And then to add one more final thought on that, because I'm really grateful, so I could go on all day. I'm grateful for the community within Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise. You know what, Patrick? Every single day, I get either a text or a Facebook message or an email from one of our members, a minimum, minimum of one, saying how our program has changed their life. And I mean, it's, there's no words, just no words. You know, I'm grateful, of course, for having, uh, this opportunity and having to, uh, having the opportunity to get to know you better and having met you. I'm very grateful for that. Like you, I'm, I'm really grateful for, you know, my wife, for Stephanie. And, you know, it's, it's, I am such a, such a huge believer that, you know, as, as guys in this world, we're, we're nothing without our wives, you know, and we're, we're blessed to have some pretty powerful wives, a couple of pretty powerful wives that support us. And, and it's just, yeah, there's gotta be a lot of gratitude for, for all of that. And, you know, today and listening and having this conversation, Derek, 
it, it is. It's a couple of guys that are entrepreneurial and business and, but it, you know, men, women, whatever it is, as entrepreneurs, as business owners, as individuals that want to make a difference in the world and change the world and support our families and do all the things that we do is that the illusions of social media where everything is perfect or the, you know, the, the illusions that they've got it all figured out and that life is good is just that they're illusions. And you and I both know we worked our asses off and the people that you are working with are working their asses off to figure out life and to figure it all out. And it is a journey and to hold the space for it being a journey and having some fun along the way. And uh, you definitely uh, brought that message clear to me again today. And, and it's always good to get grounded back in it again. So thanks for the show. Thanks for your time here today, Derek. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And I, I hope to come back again soon. Oh, dude, I know this is going to be round two for sure. So thanks, my friend. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.